This podcast is for the rebels, the misfits, the stargazers, the skinny dippers, those that want to fall in love and believe in magic, those that want to bet high, break free, and know their highest self. You are listening to the Aaron Evans Podcast. If you like what you hear, be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast. You can follow me on Instagram at Aaron underscore Evans. Buckle up and thank you for your attention. I serendipitously met Dr. Kevin Preston and it felt like fate. It was shortly after my car accident and I was at the Banff Springs pool. And this gentleman, I'll be honest, I noticed his uh, shoulder muscles, his deltoids, before we started chatting. But (laughs) (laughs) this gentleman sits with me and we have so much in common, both in the world of wellness and health and energy. We uh, immediately connected on our beliefs on making the world a better place. Kevin is a Chinese medicine doctor, an acupuncturist. He's a father, a mountain biker, a jokester, a bad boy. I am so honored to be sitting with Dr. Kevin Preston. Thank you. I'm honored to be here. You're making me laugh with your description of me. That's that's perfect. (laughs) So the best thing about Kevin is his voice, his laugh, and his smile. So you won't get to see his smile, but... Kevin, tell me a little bit about you. It seems like that's ever-changing, as it is for all of us, I suppose. And uh, yeah, I live in Vernon most of the time and have a clinic here, practice Chinese medicine, and then I've been leading lots of retreats the last few years and really focus on deep transformational healing, which is also what I would say has been a personal journey for a long time as, as well. And Uh, Yeah, I love the outdoors. I love getting into nature and very excited to see patients often and, you know, be out in the world meeting people and connecting with people and seeing how their lives transform and how we can help each other. And and so, yeah, it's uh, a huge evolution right now, I think, for a lot of us. And yeah, I'm constantly uh, excited about being alive, though. That's that's always there. And what it sounds like is in your realm, you said helping each other. And were you referring to your clients and those that attend the retreats? I am. And what is also coming up right now is where I grew up. You helped each other in the community. There's a lot of, you know, farming community, rural Alberta. And if the neighbors needed help with something, you just help them. And there wasn't strings attached and... It's just like part of what you did as being a human living in the area because you know that you'd need help at some point. And yeah, I really feel that is the strength of humanity. If we are willing to help each other just openly, then amazing things can happen. Mm-hmm. And you are a healer. And you said, I had a personal journey that likely led you down the path of medicine and health. So did you have a dark night of the soul that directed you? Hmm. Which dark night of the soul? Let's see. (laughs) (laughs) I would say one of the early phases that resonates is, uh, yeah, just playing hockey and being really athletic 
and I blew my right knee out five times starting at 15 years old. And then over the next, I guess, five and a half years, yeah, it seemed like I averaged one a year. And then I would recover and rehab, and there's some surgeries mixed in there too. And I remember thinking, what is this about? You know, what's going on here? And ultimately, it did lead me into the healing realms more, you know, certainly through my own body as a vehicle, but I'm a pretty curious person and started asking questions. And especially after the third time, even for me, I think at the time, maybe I'm just super stubborn or something and a slow learner. <laughs> but yeah, after the fourth time and then the fifth time, it's like, okay, obviously there's a different direction I'm meant to be going in and then it started unfolding from there. But um, I remember having some pretty dark moments, just being so disappointed with myself or blaming myself for causing these injuries or in that victim state of consciousness of why is this happening to me? And what does this all mean? <laughs> and not really having any good answers that were coming forward at the time with my consciousness then. But um, yeah, it was part of the mission for sure. It's interesting in Ayurvedic medicine, they call it a trigger to health, like a, a trigger to your healing. And for myself included, it's been those choke point moments that have sent me in a different direction. I thought I was going there, but I'm going over here now. What are your practices to keep your consciousness clear and connected? Currently, it definitely involves breath work. And I know breath work is a really popular term right now, which I think is awesome because, yeah, breathing is fairly important for health, obviously. And consciously breathing seems to take it to the next level. And so I actually recently took a breathwork class back in December with this guy who is a, a free diving connoisseur and holds some records for static breath holding and doing breathing exercises, you know, all the way back, I would say going maybe 20 years because of sport and athletics, you got to learn how to breathe properly or you can't perform. And so I, I would say then it wasn't as conscious as it is now, but I, I learned how to breathe to use my body appropriately and, you know, pace yourself or whatever it was, whether it was mountain bike racing or hiking or hockey or all of the above, learning how to get oxygen around your body is a, a really big thing. So now doing that with a lot more consciousness and intention, that's generally part of my day-to-day -day routine. And so I've been really enjoying the breath hold elements of uh, the static breath holding, you know, training that I was doing. and. I know I'm closing in on five minutes now, which is pretty crazy because, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't say that you could just kind of sit there and not even doing a lot of prep, just go into this ultimate stillness for five minutes because science would say that you would die. <laughs> and it turns out that's not true. So I hit um, four, four minutes, 44 seconds a few weeks ago. And admittedly, I haven't been practicing that much and I'm not trying to brag. I just find it really fascinating that I can't believe this is possible. Like I would just lay there and go into this super deep, relaxed state. And so what I notice about the breath holds for me, because I've been doing different breathwork sequences for years, so maybe that's why, but it resets my nervous system so well that I get into this really deep, relaxed state, which isn't always easy to get into, especially right now, 
which is also why I've been finding it a really, really powerful tool. And then it's almost like the meditation part of it just takes care of itself because I'm focused on a single point of holding my breath, but even that starts to dissipate. And I notice when I go into that space, that's when I can hold my breath for longer because there's days where two minutes or three minutes is challenging. And that's curious too, like why would that be? And why do these other days I'm almost at five minutes? And I notice it's completely mental related, like 100%. So it's almost a barometer for me of how are you doing today inside? And can you get to that super deep, like theta state or delta even, but still being conscious? And then your body's use of energy completely shifts. So it's teaching me a lot about myself, actually. So that's probably my main practice right now. When you're talking about your breath holds, are you holding a retention at the top or the bottom of the exhale? So currently I'm holding it at the top, lungs full. In the past, and many people are familiar with Wim Hof methods, I had done a lot of that breath work years ago. And those holds are at the bottom and so i you know built up a decent capacity there but this one is filling your lungs up completely and just holding that massive expansion and i i like the sensation of it and it can be uncomfortable at times and then as you go deeper into it especially when you start getting past three minutes and four minutes and i purposely try not to look at the time because i i time myself and if i look at the time too early it can mess with the, the mental flow for sure, right? Like you're checking on it and maybe you think you're closing in on three minutes and it's only been two. And then, you know, your mind does this kind of funny backflip and then, then you've got to start fighting for it. And what he said was, you got to be the monk and the samurai. And it was really cool because the monk part is what you need to spend most of your time in doing the breath hold. And then when you get to that point where you're starting to fight it, and ideally that's not the whole time, if your headspace is right, it's actually super blissful. But when you get to what your max capacity is for that moment, then shifting gears and being the samurai and like fighting for it. And what you can tell is that you can fight actually way longer than what you think. And you know, if my dad was listening to this, he probably thinks it's pretty crazy because I did tell him about it at Christmas time and he kind of lost it on me a little bit because of my foolishness for holding my breath for that long. And I understand also where he's coming from. I'm like, dad, this isn't my first like breath hold session. Yeah, it might be kind of extreme for somebody who's never done anything like this, but um, in my own mind, I, I'm maybe more advanced. So the samurai element though, it really showed me, you know, if I got to maybe three and a half, four minutes and then thinking I can't possibly go any longer, but then shifting that headspace of becoming the samurai and now I'm gonna fight for this. And I, I could fight for actually almost another minute, which is really, interesting mm. and so what it had come down to and, and a lot of what we're being taught through this type of breath work it's all about fear and certainly fear of dying is probably front and center for most humans and it, it was a huge part of my life for many years and i still have my fears around death but uh, much less so than in the past but if you can conquer your fears and even your nervous system saying you can't hold your breath any longer if you can sit with that fear 
and just ride it out a little further, you'll realize that it doesn't need to control you. And so this breath practice, I think one of the elements I'm loving about it so much is that it translates directly into life. And certainly there's that saying, you know, how we do one thing is how we do everything. And so this gives me a good measurement of self regularly. Mm-hmm. And it's quite humbling. Yeah. And I have and to what, add too. <laughs> I love that your dad is concerned, right? Like, oh no, I won't take another inhale. It's like, you will take an inhale. You'll get desperate enough. And in your own life, where are you the monk and where are you the samurai? Wow, that's beautiful. So I would say as a parent, I shift between the two. And perhaps most of the time, the monk, I like to listen to my kids and just be with them and be present, you know, as as much as I can day to day, because my state's always changing too. And then there's these moments where things that are going on around us or in the external world, you can feel that samurai energy of, I'm going to fight for these things. I'm going to fight for their autonomy and their sovereignty. I'm going to fight for their well-being and their health in the best ways that I know how and, and whatever that looks like. And generally that comes through being in stillness and patient and just connecting with them. And, you know, relationships, I think, can be that way because relationships are the most important things in our lives, or at least that's my thought on that. And there's these times where we do need to shift gears and it's okay to fight. Mm. And it's okay to embody that samurai energy and that we can call on both. So parenting's an interesting one. And then I would say uh, what it's kind of funny working out lately with outdoor equipment or whatever, you know, I've got these power blocks that I can adjust and they're great. And I, I tend to prefer doing exercise in nature. And what I notice is when I'm lifting weights now, I'm listening to like hand pans and meditative music versus, you know, in the past, like Eminem or, you know, hardcore rock or rap or like whatever it is to really get you jacked up, you know? And then it's so funny. I get jacked up from listening to these like melodies of Japanese flute and hand pans and it actually enhances my workout. And I'm laughing at myself while I'm working out that I'm so jacked up with meditation music. <laughs> and and I have the craziest playlist, I would say, because of course there's the the autoplay on you know Spotify or YouTube music. And so I'll have like Eminem in there and then there's this handpan music. So I never know what's gonna come up in my workout soundtracks that it could be so different that I always think if somebody was listening to my playlist right now, I'm pretty sure they would think I was totally bonkers <laughs> because who listens to this variety while they're trying to, you know, get stoked on movement. So sometimes it's like monk style working out and sometimes it's samurai style working out and I never know what it's going to be. But they belong together, right? Like a, like the monk yeah. and the samurai, it's two, it's the pendulum between two things that are the same thing. And another piece about the metaphor of a samurai is that if, if a samurai is angry, He's not the winner. The, the the winner or the warrior is always at peace. They they just know their their purpose. They know their dharma. And and a fighter that's angry and aggressive and wants to kill will likely die. So I know with karate and jujitsu and all those other things, it's like no no. You find energy in the body that is a homeostasis where you're your strongest. So what do you do for work? 
I love that question too. <laughs> well, day to day, <laughs> I see patients one-on-one -on -one a lot of the time in my clinic. And we do all manner of things, which seems to always be changing and expanding as well. So I'll get them on the treatment table and we'll do acupuncture. And um, I would even boldly say now um, energy work, which I don't even know if that's the right topic, but we do work with people's energy. And of course, in Chinese medicine, there's the notion of qi, like vital force energy in the body. And that can be worked with directly through acupressure, acupuncture, but even just being present in the room and just conversations and looking at what's going on in somebody's life and then bringing all those elements to the surface. Mm. And so that'll be part of my day. And then I also do toxicity testing in, in the way that I describe it, where I'm testing acupuncture points on the hands and the feet. And then I'll get reading and it really helps me assess where somebody's entire body is at from an organ point of view, like from a meridian point of view. And I feel really fortunate to be able to do that because it cuts down the guesswork in ways that I never imagined. So it allows us to zone in on exactly what's going on in the body and where and what all the layers of patterns of imbalance might actually be. And so for, if you have that kind of data, then you can certainly um, do a lot of deep work and, and pinpointing and cool things seem to happen when you pull a body back into alignment that's been out of alignment for a long time. Everything shifts and changes. So that's, um, that's a big part of my work. And then, you know, that certainly extends into healing retreats as well, where I'm not working one-on-one -on -one so much in the groups. It's, it's more with... Um, you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 people. I do private deep dive retreats as well. I have done one-on-one -on -one retreats with uh, clients of mine and that's super fun too. And I, uh, I love being able to go really deep and be really present with anybody that's in front of me, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or in, in a group setting. And that's, uh, yeah, that lights me up for sure. Mm. And can you share with us uh, an experience with a patient where you were in the flow and you had access to information that wouldn't be through the toxicity report? Yeah, so there's lots of memories or examples like that, both you know retreats in nature, but here in the clinic. And I actually remember seeing somebody, uh, I guess it was maybe early spring last year, and they had been through surgery and had a lot of complications that happened afterwards and were really unwell and it had been going on for months and um, she couldn't function and how it was having her family help her and somehow they made it into the office and she was actually just sobbing sitting in the waiting room so much pain so much discomfort just couldn't think unclear couldn't focus could hardly walk and when she came in and sat down we just started talking and you know, we went into the, the toxicity testing and things too, but it wasn't that. It was this awareness of massive energy disturbances in her body, and that's the best way I can describe it, I think, but her energy wasn't her own. And it's, she wasn't in her system properly. So a lot of the conversation ended up being about that. And maybe just so the listeners can have an idea, I used to do a lot of woodwork in the past. I love building things. And you can imagine the difference between like touching a tree that's alive 
or holding a two by four. It's still from the same source, but the sensation of energy is very different. One has aliveness and the other one doesn't so much. And I would say even trees that fell over in the forest, even after a few years, you can actually still feel energy in them and they're returning to the forest and they might've been, you know, so-called dead, but they're still not because they're in this living ecosystem. You can still feel like chi, or at least I would say it was that way running through them. But if you have a beautiful, alive, you know, tree or branch or anything that you're touching, you can feel that pulse of energy through it. And so when I work with patients, there's times where it honestly feels like their arm or their leg is like a two by four. And it's kind of alarming when I first started feeling this level of sensitivity of, oh my goodness, this leg is dead. Like there's no energy running through here. And then seeing them over time become more like the living tree again and like the blood flow returns and the energy returns. So in that one particular visit, the conversation that we had and the identification of what was going on. And I think just me sitting with her in a really present state, very focused, it ended up shifting that energy completely. And it was kind of mind blowing both of us because at the end of that visit, it was a few hours, I didn't like do anything, you know, that I could point to of, oh, I healed this person. It's not like that, you know, it's just energy. And so she stood up and started crying and said, oh my God, I can stand up straight. I haven't been able to stand up straight like this for months. And then went out to the waiting room and her kid was there. Her parents were there helping her look after her children because of how non-functional she was. And they're all staring at her like, what the hell happened to you in there? You weren't functional, like you couldn't even bend down to, you know, be present with your young one. And now you're smiling and you're standing up straight and your complexion's changed. And even my receptionist, a beautiful assistant in the office, after they left, she came in and she was like, Kevin, if I didn't know you, I would be freaked the fuck out because that is not who went in there. What did you do? And I'm like, I don't know. I just, I'm just showing up in presence as full as I can be and listening and observing and offering what I can. And yeah, maybe I see and feel things that not everybody would, but that being seen in the body and then directed or focused on in, in a particular way can shift things. And so when she went out, I could hear and they're like, what's happening? What? Like they're kind of freaking out thinking like something was really wrong in a good way. Cause it was so, like seeing her for months that way. And then in, you know, a matter of a couple hours, she's transformed. Mm -hmm. And I could hear her say, he hasn't even like given me the treatment yet. <laughs> and I'm just chuckling in my office at the profound nature of what can happen. Mm -hmm. And that I can't point to something I did or didn't do, which is even more beautiful because I know it's not me. And so even when you say like, you're a healer, I would say, I don't know, I guess I know some things in medicine. I've learned some, you know, some experiential ways of treatment, but I don't, I don't even know what that title means anymore as I do think we all have the capacity to heal. And I don't know if that just makes me a facilitator of health or yeah, that title is ever changing. And it's, it's fascinating to me to just watch these things unfold because I come to expect stuff like that now. 
and I'm open to it. And so I don't know if it's my belief that people can miraculously heal that actually brings that about or their belief in me that I'm going to treat them. But then before I've like done the treatment, they're already shifted. And uh, wow, what a opportunity to continuously learn. So I'm really blessed to work with people in this way. Yeah. And I think it comes back to a humility of getting out of your own way and showing up for another person and, and letting them be seen. I think so rare are we seen or heard and in that is healing in its own right. That's definitely something I've been more aware of the last few years practicing. I've been practicing as a, a TCM doc for over 13 years now. And the it's almost like the less I do now, but the more clear and focused I am, the greater the results are. Mm-hmm. And it's less about the treatment that I'm offering. And it's more about where I am in my own presence. Mm-hmm. And that sitting with people because I actually do longer visits now than I used to. So my, my first appointment, if I'm doing the deep dive testing is like two and a half, three hours. And so I am listening for vast periods of time during that and, and I'll speak and I'll share and I'll reflect too, but I'm always doing my best to listen, but listen with my full body, listen with my eyes, with every kind of sense that I can to really feel what's happening for them and why are they here and where's this illness or disease coming from and what does that mean in context of their life? And then I'll start reflecting some of these things back. And uh, a lot of transformation happens just from sitting with somebody. And I'm always blown away by that. And if, yeah, now I would say it's, it's kind of more the norm, but I never anticipated that in medicine, that if you just sit there and listen to somebody, they start healing actually. <laughs> And so much is left unsaid and so much is said by body language, mannerisms, uh, the way the eyes dart or look. I, I hear you and in my own work with clients and yoga, I'm, I'm listening with, with all my senses too. So what is your biggest learning since being in this field? I would say that we have far more capacity as human beings than what we thought. And our ability to heal like anything is actually available to us. And I know in the past I'd hear different things in the medicine circles that the human body is so flawed and we're so weak and we have these susceptibilities and things. And I remember thinking, yeah, that's kind of true. Like if we could design a more robust human, maybe there's some upgrades we could do. But now I don't think that's true at all. I would say, if anything, I've seen the opposite. The amount of resiliency in many humans that I've met is mind-blowing and constantly inspiring to me because I get to hear their stories or I'm I'm taking the time to hear what they've been through and, and hear the challenges or some of the the huge difficulties that they've met in their lives. And they're still sitting there in front of me alive and they may have some scar tissue and war wounds and everything else, but they're still there. Mm -hmm. And in some cases they're sitting there like thriving and alive and happy and their stories are sometimes devastating. And I think, wow, the human psyche, the human spirit, the human body can actually handle way more than I ever imagined. And 
it's so miraculous to watch and, and behold. So I'm constantly reminded of that. Yeah. Do you believe there is a difference or have you seen between people that heal and people that don't? I think the distillation of that currently would be life happens to me versus life, uh, life happens for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's something that's huge that happens there in one, you're a victim and the other one you're not. And so when there's a lot of victim energy, like victim consciousness running through somebody's body, and I'm not saying it's not justified at times, there's so many things that my mind would say are unjust on this planet. And so I get it. But still, what I've seen with patients that have been through intense experiences that still are looking at the silver lining or they're still looking at how this can impact their life in a positive way, they heal beautifully because they're expansive and open to trusting life. Mm. And so maybe that's another way to look at it. Those that trust the bigger picture in life and those that don't. And Mm. I still fight it at times, but I would say I fight it much less than I used to. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's probably the, the, the change maker right there. Yeah. Optimism, expansion, open to the mystery. And myself, when I've had accidents before and doctors told me I wouldn't heal, I was like, oh no, I'm going to heal. <laughs> like I will heal. I'll heal stronger. And I do believe yeah. it's it's the mind over the matter piece. What is the worst experience that turned out to be the best? This is actually something that I'm teaching a class on right now. <laughs> And last week on Tuesday, because I'm, I'm doing this course called Initiation of the Embodied Master. And it's just on Zoom and I have a really beautiful, great um, group of humans. And that was my question to them. You know, what was a disaster? And we use that word or what you thought was a disaster that later turned out to be amazing. And it might take time to see that. And so even pointing to my, you know, my five knee injuries, I thought it was quite disastrous. You know, now when I look back, I'm so grateful because that's what led me to get acupuncture and learn so much about healing and learn how to work with my own body and taught me resilience and tenacity on repairing and recovering my own self and how to do that and mental toughness and and the ability to kind of focus with and without pain and return back to sport or return back to life after having you know, your knees taken out from under you, literally, (laughs) and then getting back up again. So, gosh, I would say going through separation and divorce is more of the the recent, you know, and, and I met you kind of just before a lot of that took place in my own life. And Yeah, that trip was beautiful and amazing. It was just the kids and I, and yes, I got to meet you and we were hanging around in the the hot pools and it was just a a magical experience for that whole weekend with them. And I I would say I realized that I had a change in path come up even then. Hmm. And I I don't think I wanted to look at it or admit that's what was gonna happen, but I, I do have a decent amount of intuition, I would say. And I think all of us have that if we're willing to listen more that it was coming, you know, I could feel this wave coming. And to be honest, I was like terrified and scared shitless of it. 
but I knew that I couldn't turn away from it either. And so what unfolded over the rest of that year, I would say in some light would be fairly disastrous, even though I have this positive mindset and I have to be careful that I don't bypass things, you know, because I'm pretty happy a lot of the time, right? And I know you know this one too, that, hey, if I'm alive, it's a good day. And someone would say, Kevin, how are you dealing with all these things that you're dealing with or whatever? And I, I think, well, I'm still alive and kicking here, then something must be going well, even if I'm in pain physically or emotionally or spiritually or whatever it might be. And so there was a lot of really challenging elements that I experienced in that separation and divorce. And there was some beautiful moments through that too. And, and some would say, well, it could have been worse. And it's like, yeah, of course things could always be worse. But if I'm not bypassing it for myself, I had some really stressful times there and challenges of kind of being liberated of any of the things that were meaningful to me. And, you know, especially time with my kids. And then these other elements of things that I thought were important that weren't like stuff. And I've never really been a, a big material guy anyway, but, you know, moving from, I don't know, 3,500 square feet to 500 square feet and many, many other changes that went along with that, then it was, it was quite a, a challenge and something I'm so grateful for now. Mm. And, you know, it's only been a few years and I would say some of the huge been able to do through that process, like for myself, is also what's allowing me to, to create really beautiful healing energy with all my clients too. Mm -hmm. And of course they say that for us, uh, healer type or light workers, whatever you want to call us, if you can heal yourself, oh yeah, then you can have an impact on other people. And so I would say it gave me such a huge opportunity that at times felt so hard that I'm so grateful for now and knowing what I know now, I would do it again. And part of my own body right now is wincing when I say that. It's like, yeah, but it's true though, I would. <laughs> and okay, you know, bring it on. And actually one of the guys I had worked with a couple years ago, he said the most, what did he say? The most dangerous thing you could say is I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> And I have said that at times, and then I got I got shown, you know, oh. I, I got uh, humbled in these beautiful ways that I can see were actually meant to enhance me as a human here on the planet and enhance what I'm here to offer or how I can share and how can I help people, you know, and if I'm more aligned, and that's what I would say as a result of many of the life changes I went through, I feel more aligned now with myself than I ever have at any point previous. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there was some challenge to get there, but um, what a gift at the same time. Yeah, there's a, a quote in Latin. I won't say it in Latin because it'd be offensive to all anyone that speaks Latin. Called or not called, the gods will come. So it doesn't mm. matter if you say I'm ready, the gods are coming. And it's every couple of years, the mystery comes knocking and says, I think you're sleeping. I think you should wake up. Uh, I've I had such a similar experience to you. It's it's uncanny. Like it's a, I know exactly what you are saying and my body too is like, would you do it again? I don't know. But I would. The the learning and the strength and the resilience and the pick yourself up. Like you can't learn that in a book. Mm -mm. Where are you not free? 
So I guess this is where we started our conversation um, even, you know, before officially starting this podcast is that right now in medicine, there is a huge amount of flux and change. And it almost doesn't matter what arm of medicine you're in. There's been a massive wave come through the last couple of years. And so Western medicine, conventional medicine, whatever you want to call all of these Actals, alternative medicine, energy work, like I, I don't even care what it's called. I just, I kind of refer to medicine now as just medicine. And then there's a lot of different tools that can be applied, right from the, the mainstream all the way over to the most esoteric. So I believe where we're going, if I'm using the sort of new earth languaging, is that titles and licenses maybe won't be as important. And what is important is presence care, attention, and intention, and how much love are you willing to kind of live through your mind and your body and your heart? Because that seems to be the things that do the healing. So at times where I don't feel free is actually with my doctor license. And part of it is because my college, and I'm sending a beautiful shout out to them if they listen to this, that we're not allowed to say certain things. We're not allowed to comment on certain things. I'm not allowed to, to share things that others would maybe not agree with because I have a license. And this is a paradox to me because I feel like with what I've learned and my wisdom and my amount of study, I think I've taken more courses than maybe any of my other colleagues just because I love learning, you know, I love knowledge, I love gathering as much wisdom as I can, because then I believe I can be of service at a greater level. And so I, I believe in some of these circumstances, I'm very qualified to speak about some of these topics. And yet they would say, you're not allowed to, Kevin. <laughs> and so I think, okay, if I didn't have my doctor license, I could speak and say anything I wanted. And to me, this is the paradox. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around some of these elements and with, you know, different announcements and changes and mandates and the various layers of things that all of us, you know, healers are not public have experienced the last couple of years and almost anywhere on the planet. It's a fascinating time. And I don't know what the outcome is. I know elements of what I love to see and that's where licenses maybe don't mean as much and I'm not trying to discredit titles and even my own ego in this moment is like yeah I went to school for eight years and I, I studied and it was hard and I'm grateful I did it but it's less about the title at this stage of my career than the knowledge and the experiences I just want to help people if there's a doctor in front of my name awesome if there's not awesome because the only limitation is the limitations I give myself on what capacity I have or I don't. And I don't think having a license in any form can really tell you who you are. Mm -hmm. And are you even like limiting or hiding behind some of the titles that you've gained? And I, you know, I've been in people's offices before where there's like 50 plaques on the wall. <laughs> and then, you know, I was thinking early in my career, oh, that's cool and it's really impressive and like I, I want to become this person. And now I would think, 
I actually don't want any plaques on the wall. And so I don't have any in here. I just have pictures and artwork that are gifts from patients. And I don't, I don't know like why, you know, I just, I'm a human. My name is Kevin. <laughs> there's so much don't know. And, and maybe you can relate to the more you learn, the more you realize you really don't know, but I'm moving more into that. And, and, um, as you may know, I'm a big fan of the gene keys. And in that book, Richard, states and this is one of my keys gene key 48 and it's in my life purpose and it's wisdom and uh, resourcefulness is the gift and what he says about well he says a couple things in some of the audios he's like congratulations resourcefulness if you have this in your kids because you're gonna need it and that's sometimes where i'm like ah oh, shit it's true ah <laughs> oh, okay resourcefulness thank you and wisdom though is in the not knowing and I love that quote that he shares in that way, because it's true. You can have so much knowledge, but it doesn't mean it's wisdom. And so the more I learn, the more I'm trying to let go of knowledge even more. And if I'm okay in the not knowing, that's where the wisdom actually has a chance to come forward. And so I see it in the clinic. I see it in my life. If I just slow down and breathe and I'm okay and curious about what's coming or what I don't know, there's some really cool wisdom that comes through. Mm -hmm. And so that's been my focus more so. And in that is where I feel more free mm -hmm. and unlimited. Yeah. I would say that wisdom is experience that has been metabolized that I've lived through and I don't need anyone's okay. I don't need any applause. No one needs to notice. And then within that, I have more compassion. Whereas knowledge, I would say, is an accumulation of content that I can spit out at you at a dinner party and you'll be wowed by me. But I'm curious, what do you think is the difference between wisdom and knowledge? I love how you shared that. And to me, that translates into embodiment. Mm. So potentially knowledge is something you can hold in your mind mm. and in your head, mm. but it doesn't mean that it's embodied or lived. And so this is something I love to focus on with patients. And of course, in myself, there's all these things that I've learned mentally. There's times I've had in my life where I read like literally 150 books in a year and audible, you know, thankful to them. Otherwise it wouldn't have been possible because I was driving a lot then. And so I'd, I'd li listen to books on like uh, two times speed or 1.5 times speed. Oh, you're so one I, of those kind of, of people. The, yeah. It's like being in the matrix, like just download this book into my brain. <laughs> and, and I could, like, I could retain it really well. I'm a very audible learner too. And at the same time, at the end of the year, I was like, okay, am I more wise than I was a year ago with these 150 books? And I, I would argue, yeah, on a certain level, intellectually, I, I'd gathered so much knowledge. And then the deeper question was, where are you embodying and actually taking the advice and the experience of these books and applying it to your life? Mm -hmm. And that's always where the traction happens. That's where the rubber hits the road. So maybe that's the discernment between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom, I would say, is more embodied. Like it's there. And I love the word you use that it's metabolized knowledge. Like you've actually chewed through it. You've lived it and alchemized it. And now it's in your cells and it's just there. Yeah. And now it almost doesn't matter what happens moving forward that it's that, um, that knowing is inside of you. Yeah. So real curious thing, especially with retreats and things. And maybe you see this with classes you teach or coaching that 
there's sometimes a pretty big shift between the knowledge base and the the embodiment of it, like where you see the actions stemming from that deeper place within someone's being, and they are actually like living their wisdom. It's not just being talked about. <laughs> yeah, that's a big bridge to cross at times, but I think it's necessary. And sometimes I see the action occurring before the mind has shifted. So they're like living the wisdom, but the mind is still stuck in maybe victim or or whatever experience. But I see they're they're getting further forward, but there's like a a lag behind. What is the best advice you've ever received? What's coming to mind is walking on the beach by the Santa Monica Pier in California. And I had been to a Tony Robbins event that year. This is, I'm going to say, maybe four or five years ago now. And a dear friend of mine had passed away not long before that. And he was in his 70s, ended up uh, passing from cancer. And him and I had a really beautiful connection. And he had really lived his life. He had been a helicopter pilot. He had been in a rock band in the 60s, had traveled and just, you know, had boat for his family and, you know, had traveled and really just lived. And so I was really inspired by him. And every time we'd sit down, he'd tell me all these really cool stories. And I always just thought this is the most interesting man in the world, just like the commercial, but he had actually was a real life embodiment of it, you know, and he built motorcycles when he was younger and toured across Canada and just, he had a different story for every day of the week and all of them were totally legit. And so he had passed, I was on this trip and I was just having some moments of reflection, really feeling a lot. I'm a, a big feeler and the sunset was beautiful and I could see the pier. And I remembered he had shared this story that he lived in one of the rooms on the Santa Monica pier in the big carousel there. <laughs> and I, you know, and he's like, yeah, at night you could feel like the building moving around as it was going and all the music and the lights and everything, but they had rented the rooms in one of the towers in the corner of the carousel on the pier. And so I'm walking along and I'm looking at the pier. I can see the merry-go-round there and the sunset's just beautiful. And I just had like an upwelling of emotion and like tears, but I didn't really know why. I was just so happy and I could feel some grief. And so I, I, I said hello to him because I could feel him there. And then it's like I, his presence was like right beside me on the beach. It was quite an experience. And I was like, well... <laughs> what do you think, man? Like, I've got a lot of changes coming in my life. I can feel it. And he said, and you know, it wasn't like the, the booming voice from the cloud anything, but I could feel it move through my body. And he said, live your life, man. That's what you need to do. Just live your life. But I knew what he meant. Like I knew where it was coming from because of what he did. And so I, I really felt like that landed in that moment within me and i'm really grateful for his advice even coming from the other side that the, it's like a commitment that really i was able to connect with mm. that i am going to live my life and i think after that like i started living it more fully you know and living it the way i wanted to see it and how i wanted to experience my time here and so yeah i think at this stage that was probably the best advice yeah, we tend to make the center of our center 
our partner's life or our children's dramas or our parents' situation and that that live your own life. Like the closer you get to the own your own juice, your own decision making, the more lined up you are. And you mentioned earlier, I've never felt so aligned. And you had to make some big decisions. You fell in love young, you had children young, and then yeah, the split of the the family and yeah, job changes. Well, Kevin, it has been, mm -hmm. I could talk to you for the rest of my life, but unfortunately I have things to do and so do you. Um, it has been such a pleasure. Where could folks find you? They could go on my website and it's just drkevinpreston.com, drkevinpreston.com. Also the same handle on uh, Instagram when I am on there, drkevinpreston. And uh, yeah, there's always retreats and different things coming up. And I, I speak and share about that probably most on Instagram. And I've never really been a, a big social media guy. So <laughs> I'm on there when I can. And I get people bugging me in a loving way to post more and share more about what I'm doing. And so I'm doing my best on that front, but that's probably the easiest way. And then you can contact our office through that as well. And yeah. Amazing. I'll toss that in the show notes. And any parting words for the listener? Well, maybe I'll just keep it simple and reflect what my, my dear friend had said is live your life. Yeah, nothing. what more could we say? Oh, thank you so much. So good to see your face. Thank you. Awesome. Nice to see you too. This is fun. It's people like Dr. Kevin Preston that remind me to believe in magic. Till next time, I love you. I hope you are inspired to do what you're meant to do on this planet. If you liked what you heard, be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast.